This morning's text will come from Isaiah chapter 7, but let me give you a little background. Israel, as a people, have split themselves into two nations, Judah, the southern kingdoms, two tribes, two very large tribes, uh, dwelling in the southern area of Israel, and Israel, the northern kingdom, consisting of ten tribes. Judah had a few good kings. However, the northern kingdom of Israel did not have one godly king that they can point to. And as we look at the politics and the alliances of these two kingdoms in chapter 7 of Isaiah, Ahaz, the king of Judah, was one of their most wicked kings. Syria, along with the ten northern tribes of Israel, they're wanting Judah to go in with them, be part of a defense pack against Assyria. Uh, These nations are afraid of Assyria, for Assyria is very powerful. They're very barbaric. Uh, And Assyria is a constant threat to Israel, Syria, and Judah. Judah is under King Ahaz, and he's a wicked king. And Judah has no interest whatsoever in any alliance with Israel and Syria. Why? Because Ahaz has secretly made a peace treaty with the Assyrians. And Judah now feels that their treaty with the Assyrians, that it will protect them. However, the prophet Isaiah is sent to speak to King Ahaz. And that's where we pick up Isaiah chapter 7, verses 10 through 17. Moreover, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, saying, Ask for a sign for yourself from the Lord your God. Ask in either the depth or in the height above. But Ahaz said, I will not ask, nor will I test the Lord. Then he says, Hear now, O house of David, is it a small thing for you to weary men, but will you weary my God also? Therefore the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and shall call his name Emmanuel. Curds and honey he shall eat, that he may know to refuse evil and to choose the good. For before the child shall know to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land that you dread will be forsaken by both her kings. The Lord will bring the king of Assyria upon you, and your people in your father's house, days that have not come since the day of Ephraim departed from Judah. In this passage, we have Ahaz appearing to be righteous. And he answers the prophet Isaiah in verse 12 there, I will not ask for a sign, nor will I test the Lord. When in truth... Ahaz has already made a secret pact, a secret treaty with Assyria. And in reality, Ahaz does not want to hear 
anything from Isaiah, God's prophet, he doesn't care what Isaiah has to say to him. And in truth, he doesn't care about God's word to him. As people, as persons, we can go through the motions of humbling ourselves before God. But God sees the heart. False humility is nothing more than pride. So false humility is what Ahaz has. Ahaz has? All right. And, uh, and his mind is already made up, so don't confuse him with the truth now. And Ahaz is simply covering his own presumptuous actions, and he's covering it with godly talk or godly jargon. And he says, I will not test the Lord. Well, no, because you've already done your own thing. Ahaz has took matters into his own hands. He now trusts in the peace treaty that he has with Assyria. A treaty with a barbaric people, a conniving enemy he has made a peace treaty with. Who would do such a thing? Well, recently, the United States entered into a treaty with Iran. A treaty with enemies of the United States and Israel. A treaty that was negotiated with our Secretary of State, John Kerry. Let me give you a little background on the people that were involved in that negotiating of this uh, Iran Treaty. John Kerry, his daughter in 2009, Vanessa Bradford Kerry, married an Iranian physician, Dr. Brian Vale Nahed. The best man at their wedding was a man named Mohammed Javed Sharif. Mr. Sharif is currently today the Minister of Foreign Affairs for Iran. Mr. Zarif was John Kerry's chief counterpart in the Iran nuclear treaty negotiations. So we have a wedding member of John Kerry's daughter bartering a nuclear deal with our Secretary of State. Can you say conflict of interest? Not to mention treason. And an interesting side note to this, this treaty was sanctioned, ratified, and approved by none other than Russia. Well, that's good to hear. And so we have made a nuclear peace treaty with a nation that calls Israel little Satan, but they openly call us, the United States, Big Satan. Israel is their little enemy. We are their big enemy. But we made a treaty with this people who consider us their enemy. And to say this is a foolish treaty, a dangerous treaty for us in Israel, well, that's putting a good spin on it to say it's naive. 
Can we trust a people that have sworn to be our enemy? They have sworn for our destruction. And they have hidden their nuclear program in the past from inspectors. So why do I mention this treaty at all? Why bring politics into the pulpit? Well, because Iran and Assyria happen to be the same people that are mentioned in Isaiah chapter 7. King Ahaz of Judah made a secret treaty with the Assyrians. And today the United States has made a treaty, a peace treaty, with the same people who happened to be our sworn enemies. Ahaz and the United States making treaties with the same people only 2,500 years apart. Assyria did not war against Judah. They didn't turn against Judah and, and destroy them. They simply made Judah a slave state of Assyria. But that came a few years later. But God, it's interesting, is not passive in his plans for Judah under King Ahaz. And that's an encouragement for us today. God is not passive in our treaty with Iran. I find great comfort in that. God has a plan for the Jewish people and the Christians of the world today. God tells Ahaz, I myself, Ahaz, will give you a sign of my purpose for the nation of Judah, for the nation of Israel, and really for the entire world. And here's my sign. The virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. Well, what kind of sign is that in the politics of the world for that day? Right in the middle of Ahaz's attempts to deceive, right in the middle of his own little uh, secret peace treaty, God declares, I'm going to give you a sign. And I'm going to give this sign to the whole world. And it's the greatest gift possible. And here is that irrevocable sign to you, Ahaz. The virgin shall have a son, the son of God, the savior of the world. Now, has there ever been a greater miracle, when you just think this through, than a young girl, a virgin, having a son? A virgin having a son defies all our logic. Simply put in the natural, virgin's births do not happen. Oh, we can artificially inseminate. And the Druze of the Middle East, their men wear garments and they're open in the front. They're kind of like maternity clothes because they believe that Messiah will come through the birth of a male. All right, <laughs> go with that one. And, uh, and so the Druze happened to hold their belief that Messiah will come through a man. But a true virgin birth defies logic. 
Now, let me make this real to you. Let me take you out to the farm, my farm. <laughs> Last year, I'm setting out a roll of hay for my female cows. Let's call them heifers, because that's what they are. I happen to notice that I have a brand new calf there. Buttercup, that's my brown cow. She has given birth, but she has not been exposed to a bull. And my mind is racing <laughs> when I remembered that I had sold a bull, a young bull, about nine months previous. This young bull was not of age to reproduce, but he did. <laughs> so we had a calf born early, but not of a virgin birth. <laughs> and bulls aren't supposed to produce, reproduce until they're about 16 months old. And I sold this guy when he was about a year old. So there we had an early birth. And I found, though, that when I saw this calf, my mind is spinning. <laughs> How can we have a new calf? In virgin births, they don't happen among animals either. <laughs> Nor do they happen among human beings unless God gives a great sign to all of humanity through a virgin birth. So consider, God gives Ahaz of Judah a sign. And God is foretelling Judah what he will do among men. And it's so profoundly to me in this aspect. Right in the middle of Judah's rebellion, right in the middle of their unbelief and their corruption, God gives that king, that nation, the greatest news ever. Right when they're opposed to him the most, God proclaimed, I'm going to give a virgin a son. She will call his name Emmanuel, and he will be the savior of his people. God is going to give a sinful people, a people opposed to him, he's going to give them an opportunity for righteousness. To understand grace even a little bit, try to explain grace sometime to a sinful person that doesn't believe, it can be a tough thing. But to understand grace, you have to experience grace. And to realize that God is going to give a son, one that will bring forgiveness to a people that are sinful by nature. David wrote in Psalm uh, 14.3, there's none that does good. No, not one. So that kind of eliminates the righteous people. Romans 3.10, there is none righteous. No, not one. So each and every one of us fall into that category of being sinful. Paul, in chapter 5 of Romans, he describes the plight of fallen man and the rescue that God provides for him. So you may want to turn with me to Romans 5, and we'll look at three verses there, 6 through 
eight. Romans 5, verse 6. For when we were still without strength, in due time Christ died for the ungodly. For scarcely for a righteous man will one die, yet perhaps for a good man someone would even dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love towards us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Verse 6 talks about without strength. So weak, so feeble, unable to provide or help ourselves in any way. When we could do nothing to benefit ourselves or even present ourselves in a better light before God, when we were totally defenseless and helpless, Christ died for us. When mankind realized in due time, when God allowed us to come to our end of our own selves, uh, when we were without hope, frustrated and hopeless, Christ died for us while we were opposed to him. Paul draws a conclusion by the Holy Spirit, so he says, for scarcely for a righteous man will one die. And even at our best time of courage, perhaps we would dare to die for a good person, a person we deemed worthy. But God went way beyond our capacity to understand, much less imitate him. And God demonstrated his great love for men by redeeming us while we were opposed to him. We can circle uh, the wagons of our emotions. When we detect a person who is not in agreement with us, a person that is contrary to us, and in plain terms, a person we would consider an enemy, Christ died for us. The world is full of people. The multitudes are numerous who never come to a place of repentance in this life. And I hate to use a political person as an example, but Donald Trump claims to be a Christian. I'm not here to judge Donald Trump, but I judge what he said. He said... When asked, have you ever asked God to forgive you? And he said, I can't recall ever asking God to forgive me. And I want to say, Donald Trump, you're not a Christian. <laughs> you know, if you've never asked for forgiveness, how do you have forgiveness? But anyway, that's beyond that. We can be so self-absorbed into our own will and our own plans that we never turn to Christ who died for us. In truth, some people never turn to Christ. And that does not escape God's foreknowledge. He knows this. Jesus said, narrow is the way of salvation, and few are who find it. 
Yet Christ, he died for us. He died to us for us so that we would turn to him. But Christ also died for those that won't turn to him, who will never accept salvation, who will never repent. He died to give them an opportunity. What love? What compassion? For God tells us he's not willing that any should perish. I'm grateful for that. So this Christmas season, realize, just as Ahaz of Judah was given a sign that a young virgin would have a son, Emmanuel, our Savior, and understand that God is not through with the affairs of men today. Do you look around and see things troubled? I was talking to a fellow before service, and he said, I had a rough week just watching the news and seeing what was coming down. And we can all see the different things that upset us in the news. And it can be disturbing. But look what God did for Judah while they were in the midst of opposing him. He said, I'm going to give you a sign, Judah. A virgin's going to have a baby and you'll call his name Emmanuel, and he will be the savior of your people. Right in the middle of their opposition to him. So no matter how perverse our nation becomes, and no matter how dark it appears to be getting, God has given us Emmanuel, born of a virgin. Amen? Amen. Let me get you to stand. We'll close in prayer. Father God, I am so grateful for your plan of salvation. I am so grateful that you looked upon us, sinful men, sinful women, sinful children, and you gave us hope in your Son that if we would call upon him, we would receive salvation, eternal life. While we were opposed, Lord, you made a plan. While we were contrary to you, you made a plan for us to receive salvation. Thank you so much for Jesus, and thank you, Jesus, so much for being obedient, coming, taking on flesh, living a life among us, and then dying on the cross for our sins. We love you for that, Lord. We thank you for our salvation. We thank you for redeeming us. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.